Today we're going to talk about adultery and stealing. This is a part of our series on the Ten Commandments. At this stage, I want to give just a very special welcome to our viewers across North America. Let them know just how welcome they are to join us today. We're going to have a good time together today as we talk about the commandments of God, the Seventh Commandment and the Eighth Commandment, and those commandments talk about adultery and stealing. I want you please to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Thank you, Stephen. And verse 14 and 15, and you'll find Bibles in the pews. This is a church that believes in the Word of God. And we would encourage you, please, to turn to the passages. And those who are viewing on television, we'd like you to go and get your Bible, please. And turn with us to Exodus chapter 20 as we talk today about adultery and stealing. Exodus 20, verse 14 and 15, God says, You shall not commit adultery. And verse 15, the Almighty God says, You shall not steal. I guess it is a true statement that every person wants to be happy. I want to be happy. And you want to be happy. And God's commandments were not given to take away our happiness. God's commandments are not opposed to happiness. God's commandments are the means to happiness through faith in Christ. The Bible says, this is a very beautiful text, it says, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing shall offend them. So the people who've got peace, joy, and happiness are the people who love God and keep his commandments. That's why I'm so glad to have Harry Bay as a member of this church who was out on the streets of Los Angeles preaching to the gang members, leading them to Christ, and leading them to obey the commandments of God. The happiest people in this world, friend, are people who have true faith in Christ and who obey the commandments. Have you heard the story? This happened not in America, but this happened, I'm told, in England. A little boy and his mother were walking down a street, walking down a country road, rather, this little boy came from the great city of London, hardly ever been outside the, that great city. And there he saw a large, fat cow looking over the fence. And the little boy examined the cow very carefully. It was something new to him. He thought milk came in bottles. And there he saw this cow. And after a while he said to his mother, Mommy, is that cow a Christian? And she said, why would you ask, is this cow a Christian? Let me back up a little. This little boy had a father who was an elder in a big formalized church. <laughs> and the little boy looking at the cow said to his mother, mother, is that cow a Christian? And she said, why? And the little boy said, because it's got a long face just like daddy. Now, the common perception is, if you want to have a good time, then don't belong to the church. That may be true with some churches. But the Bible tells us, great peace have they who love your law. Nothing will offend them. It says in the book of Revelation, blessed or happy are those people who keep the commandments of God. God is not in the commandments asking for something God is offering something 
And the seventh commandment deals with the importance of the family. Today we're going to talk about this a little more. We talked about it last week when we spoke on the fifth commandment. We're going to talk about it a little bit further today. There are three words of great significance to every person who's listening to this telecast. The first word is faith. Faith in God. You can't really be happy unless you've got faith in God. The first word is faith, and the second word is freedom. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's a wonderful thing to have faith and freedom, and the third word is family. Can you say those words? Faith, freedom, and family. America originally was based upon faith, freedom, and family. It's a wonderful thing, my friend, to know that there's a God in heaven who really loves you. And he's your father, and you can have faith in that God. It is true what St. Augustine said, our souls were made for God. They cannot rest until they rest in him. The people who are resting are people who have faith in God. And this faith in God leads me to a wonderful freedom to be what God wants me to be. When I become a Christian, my friend, I am not bound by the laws of a state church. I'm not bound by the laws of men, but I'm bound by the laws of God. And Jesus said, this freedom will make me free, free to be what God wants me to be. And what a blessing it is, my friend, to be part of the family of God. I've got a um, little poem, thank you, Steve, I want to read to you out of the book Love for a Lifetime, written by Dr. James Dobson. It's a beautiful little poem, a little old-fashioned poem that you're going to like. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Sometimes it feels like this world's gone crazy. Grandpa, take me back to yesterday, when the line between right and wrong didn't seem so hazy. Did lovers really fall in love to stay? Stand beside each other, come what may. A promise really something people kept, not just something they would say. Did families really bow their heads to pray? Daddies really never go away. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Grandpa, everything is changing fast. We call it progress, but I just don't know. And Grandpa, wander back into the past, then paint me a picture of long ago. Did lovers really fall in love to stay? Stand beside each other, come what may. A promise, really something people kept, not just something they would say and forget. Did families really bow their heads to pray? Daddies really never go away. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. I wish that we could all remember the good old days today. And I wish that somehow we could capture again our faith 
which leads to feeling? No, that leads to freedom. Freedom. Don't worry so much about the feeling. Because if you have faith, and if you have freedom, and if you have a family, you'll have all the feeling you need. But if you put feeling first, you'll have none. And so I want to say to you today, may the Lord help us to remember the good old days because in today's world, 50% or more of marriages are ending on the rocks in divorce. The seventh commandment that says, don't commit adultery, was given to protect the family. It was given to protect husbands and wives and boys and girls. Today, I want you please to notice the story of a good man, not just a good man, but the story of a very good man who made a wrong decision and started a train of circumstances that ended in a multiple tragedy. I want you to take your Bibles and come over here to the story of, of David, to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. We're just going to look at these verses today and we're going to read them and I believe they're going to bless our hearts. 2 Samuel chapter 11 that talks about David and the day he looked out the window. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and we're going to start right at the top at verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 11, the story of a good man, a very good man, who made a wrong decision. The Bible says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's army and the whole Israelite army, with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And this was the stage for a coming disaster because while he rested, he rusted. While he rested, he rusted. There's a need for activity, particularly spiritual activity. And in the time when he was resting, the devil came. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Not just beautiful. The Bible says she was very beautiful. She was beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messages to get her. She came and he slept with her. I don't think she offered any resistance. The beautiful woman came to the king's palace. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Job, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Job was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But 
Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. And that was his death warrant. Uriah sent to David, I'm sorry, verse 10, when David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Job and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Job and sent it with Uriah. Sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Job had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenses were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Job, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. And so there was a look at a naked woman which led to adultery that led to a plot of death that led to treachery and that led to a corpse. And David thought nobody knew but God knew. <laughs> Can I tell you this in all our sins I would remind you of this in all your sins, in all my sins. None of us may know, but God knows. God knew. God sent him a prophet. The prophet came and said to him, you are the man. And David was broken in spirit. And David repented. But this did not solve all the problem because he had started a train of events. The look, and there was nothing wrong with the first look. But the look led to lust. There's nothing wrong when you're flipping through television and you see an evil scene. It is when you stay on the channel. The look became a lingering look. And the look turned to lust. And the lust turned to adultery. And the adultery became a pregnancy. And this led to murder. There was more to come. Because God knew and the people got to know. And in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 1, 
It's the story of Amnon who falls in love with Tamar, a beautiful girl, and she's Absalom's sister. And this is where it becomes even more difficult. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 1 and onwards. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. It's, it's an amazing story. Here is this young man, Amnon. He is filled with passion and filled with lust because he wants this beautiful girl. And so he devises a plan and he pretends to be sick. And the king sends along this beautiful girl. And Abnon says, put every person out and she's about to feed him the meal that she's cooked in front of him with her own hands. And she's dressed as a girl who is a princess in embroidered clothing. And when they all go out, Amnon says, come close to me, my sister. And she says, why? And he grabs her and attempts to rape her. And she says, do not do this to me because I am a virgin in Israel. Speak to the king and the king will give me to you. But he overpowers her and he rapes her. And then, because passions are volatile but fickle, after he's raped her, he says, get out. I don't want to see you again. She goes out weeping. And Absalom sees her and says, what is wrong with you, my sister? Has Amnon been at you and with you? And the king is told. And the Bible says, the king is furious, but silent. He's silent. He does not rebuke his son Amnon for the rape of Tamar. You know why? Because of Bathsheba who was in bed with him. But Absalom isn't finished. He's mad. He's angry. Some time later, he says to his father, Father, I'm going to have a big feast. I want you to come, and I want you to send Amnon. He said, why do you want Amnon? He said, we're just going to have a great feast. In fact, he said, send all of the sons of the king. Send all of my brothers. The king says, no, we would be a burden to you. We cannot come. He says, but just send Amnon. And so Amnon goes to the feast. And Absalom has set out the word, when Amnon is drunk and merry with wine, I will give the word, kill him. And so in the feast, everybody is rejoicing. Amnon is drunk. Absalom raises his finger, glances at his men, and they move upon the raper and murder him. When the king hears the news, he's distraught. Amnon is dead. 
but he thinks all of his sons have been dead, but the word goes out, no, they're not all dead, they're all alive, except Amnon. Absalom is forced to flee. He goes into exile. The king says, I never want to see his face again. I never want to see his face again. But months become years, and through the plot of Job and a very remarkable woman, the king is induced to have Absalom come back again. Absalom comes into his presence and they're reconciled. But all the time, in Absalom's heart, there is feeling justice has not been done. I have been treated basely because I defended the honor of my sister. The story goes on and the Bible says that Absalom sat at the gate of the city and he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And one day the king wakes up and there's a tremendous rebellion. And the rebellion leads to a tremendous war. It is between the soldiers of King David and the soldiers of his own flesh and blood. And the story ends up with this beautiful boy the most handsome boy in all Israel, from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, with long, beautiful hair. When he cut it, it weighed five pounds. The Bible says. The story ends up with Absalom hanging in an oak tree, and when the general hears about it, he says, give me a javelin, give me two javelins, give me three javelins, and he thrusts them through the heart of the king's son. That day, 20,000 people die. That night, there are 20,000 widows wailing the loss of their sons, wailing the loss of their husbands. Because of the second look. The lust that led to adultery, that led to a pregnancy, that led to a murder, that led to a rape, that led to a king who could not speak against sin, that led to another murder, that led to a great rebellion, that led to 20,000 deaths. The Bible says, you shall not commit adultery. It started with a look, it always does, that led to lust, that led to adultery, that led to murder, went all over. Amnon was dead. Absalom was dead. The heart of the king was broken, and there were 20,000 widows. That's why God said, you shall not commit adultery. I want to read you a statement here out of the book. Here it is. You get a camera in on it. Relatively recent publication. It's one of the... Uh, most authentic books on morals in the United States of America. It was scientifically done. It is the most comprehensive and the most authoritative source of truth concerning how we live in this part of the world. It's called The Day America Told the Truth. 92% of sexually active people report having had 10 or more lovers with a lifetime average of 17. 
92% of sexually active people in the United States report having had 10 or more lovers with a lifetime average of 17. Four in 10 among us have had more than one lover in the past year. Singles get around much more since they became sexually active by the age of 16 for the majority. Single people have an average of 21 lovers for in the last year. Do you wonder, Harry Bay, why we have gangs? Why we have a breakdown of the home when God said, you shall not commit adultery? I wish to remind you that permissiveness is always dangerous and destructive. destructive. I think of Magic Johnson, who is now playing again with his aides. And uh, I remember what USA News and World Report said, don't call him a hero, he is not a role model. Pray for him, but don't call him a hero. There's nothing magic about him. Nothing magic about him. A man who boasts that he slept with not dozens, not with, what is it, 16 or 17, which is the national average for all males in this country over a lifetime, but has slept with thousands. And then there is the heavyweight Tommy Morrison who slept also with thousands. He describes in Newsweek and Time magazine this week how the girls were knocking on the door, knocking down the door. He said, I lived a promiscuous lifestyle. I got what I deserved. I thought I was bulletproof. I hope I can serve as a warning. So the Bible says don't commit adultery. I ask the question, is there hope for the person who has broken the seventh commandment? Before I answer that, let me say this. Jesus said, whoever looks, and he said this in Matthew 5, 27 to 30, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This may include many of us. Jesus said, it is the thought that counts. This may include many of us. But Jesus dealt with people whose lives were stained with sin. You know the story of the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And the Pharisees were about to stone her, and Jesus stooped down. This is told in John chapter 8. And Jesus wrote the sordid, dirty secrets of their self-righteous lives in the sand. And then they all, like dingoes or coyotes, slunk away into oblivion. And Jesus was left with the adulteress alone. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? Has no man accused you? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I accuse you or condemn you, go and sin no more. There is mercy for all of us who've sinned. Where grace did abound, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Grace that is greater than all our sin. I wish to remind you today and the people watching that there is a sin worse than adultery. Jesus said, of the religious leaders of his day, 
the people who made all the pretensions, Jesus said, the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God ahead of you. The worst sin is the sin of spiritual pride that says, I belong to the remnant church and therefore I am saved because of my position in the church. What a lie. It's almost impossible to save a super religious person. Jesus said the publicans, the people from the IRS, they were the tax collectors. <laughs> the harlots, the people with AIDS, the Magic Johnsons, they go into the kingdom of God in front of the religious people. And so there's mercy for all and there's mercy even for religious people who feel their need. The Eighth Commandment says, you shall not steal. Let me read to you from the book, The Day America Told the Truth. Thank you, St. Stephen. And uh, let me read you a little statement here on stealing. True confessions of crime. All kinds of people confessed small-scale small crimes in the privacy of our interviews. A bank teller from Metropolis, lots of petty theft. When I was a teenager, now I work in a bank, right? A Rust Belt lawyer, drugs and theft right up to the present time, I sometimes steal at our office. A southern cop, I've stolen many items, little here, little there. A receptionist from an area in the northeast, when I was younger, I stole from department stores. I occasionally hit the malls. I occasionally hit the malls now. A high, high school coach from the East, I stole a leather jacket last year. Every couple of years, I steal something big. A young woman from New England who was a fitness instructor attempted larceny, also stealing gasoline from cars in the neighborhood. A meat cutter from the mid Midwest, dope stealing from work. A Midwestern woman who owns a manicuring business, stealing in stores and buying drugs. A Midwestern woman who is now president of a small company stole paper goods, pens, small machines from a former employer. A broker for the federal government. As a teen, worked in a camera shop. I stole a lot of equipment. An old Dixie factory foreman. I steal packs of cigarettes off our lunch wagon. A realtor from the West Coast smoked marijuana and committed petty theft in convenience stores. A mother of two stole cosmetics at a Mary Kay show. Others confess to regular stealing, a college president, a telephone interviewer, a licensed practical nurse, an auto mechanic, an insurance salesman, a market research interviewer, a waitress, the owner of an insurance agency, a postal supervisor, a filmmaker, a mailman, a carpet installer, staller, a market consultant, a home health aide, and so on. The Bible says, you shall not steal. What do I do if I've been stealing? I get on my knees and I confess it to God. And then I go and see the person from whom I have stolen and restore it at least twice. I was having Bible studies with a young man and his family outside Tari, Beverly, Warren, B., and when we came up to the time of his baptism, he said, he owned a big farm, he said, the railway line goes down the bottom of my farm, and he said, the train's parked there, 
and uh, they they all covered with tarpaulins. You know what tarpaulins are? Canvas. He said, I've been stealing them for years. What am I going to do? I said, it's easy. Go get your checkbook. Write a letter. Write a letter to the railway department. Send. He said, it's going to cost a lot of money. I said, are you earnest? Do you want to go to heaven? Let him that stole steal no more and let him return that which he has stolen. A person cried out in one of my meetings on a Tuesday night, but don't I need just to confess it to God? No. Confess it to God, but return that which you have stolen. The Bible says you shall not steal. If you have been stealing from God's church, if you have been stealing from God and withholding tithes and offerings, return it to God. You shall not steal. There's one big antidote to stealing. One big antidote to adultery and murder and all of those things. Would you like to know what it is? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and your neighbor as yourself. And Paul in Romans 13 says, he quotes the commandments, and then he says, love is the fulfilling of the law. Therefore, love do, does no ill to his neighbor. How can a person keep these Ten Commandments? As I said last week, I think it was, love makes the world go round. Love in my heart is God's answer to sin. Therefore, I must ask the question, how do I learn to love? As a friend of mine says, whatever gets your attention gets you. If porno gets your attention, it'll get you. But if Jesus gets your attention, Jesus will get you. Therefore, look at him. Read about him. That's why I say to every person whom I baptize, Read your Bible every day. Think about him. See him with the children. Hear him say, let them come to me. Jesus was not a religious person, never employed by the church, never held any office, never sat on any committee. See him. See him with Mary Magdalene. See him how he defended her against Simon the hypocrite. See him with Peter. When Peter had denied him with cursing and swear him, swear him, swearing, see him with Peter. See him with Pilate. When Pilate had him beaten. But mostly see him on the cross. That's when you learn to love him. Hear him say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Hear him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
and ask the question, why does he cry out, my God, my God, because he bears your adultery, he bears your stealing, he bears my sin. See him, hear him, and when you see him and hear him, then you will love him. And love is the fulfilling of the law. Amen.